Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. This is Jeff Bedoten with Believe in Chiefs on the Believe Podcast Network, Kansas City's number one sports podcast network. The only place with a show for every team in Casey and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? On this week's show, former Chiefs offensive lineman Joe Valero and I are joined by a special guest, Blair Kirkhoff of the Kansas City Star. He's also on the podcast Sports Beat KC. Blair, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, it is great to be here and to talk to you, Joe and Jeff. I really appreciate the invitation. Yeah, Blair, it's great. Well, thank you for bringing your special insights into, you know, especially the Chiefs season, um, what it looked like to you, how you think everybody feels about it from the media to the people within the team to the fans that you interact with to what you think it looks like this early in the offseason but I already saw I saw Patrick Mahomes was already tweeting out time to get to work right it's been a week and a half and he's already he's already hitting it so you know thanks for joining us and, and bringing your your special insights this is great now happy to do it and and uh, the Chiefs are um, Patrick Mahomes thinks he has a lot of work to do. I think the Chiefs believe, as an organization, they have a lot of work to do. All the teams feel like that, but mm-hmm. the Chiefs, the way it ended for them, uh, I think are uh, maybe inspired or motivated to to get some things fixed. Yeah. Do you expect Do you expect to see the same type of, and I'm doing air quotes like our listeners can see us, uh, but you know, do you expect the same run it back type mentality, or are they going to just you know? Are they going to start fresh and look and see where they have needs and, you know, so be it if it's not, you know, as it was when this whole thing started, Jeff, what did we count? 21 of 22 starters or something crazy like that after last year's Super Bowl, that is. Um, Do you think it's going to look similar to that? Do you think it's going to be different? Yeah, I I tell you what, I I look at the the previous two off seasons as instructive. After the 2018 season where they lost the AFC championship game to the Patriots and that heartbreaker at Arrowhead, um, they kind of blew out the defense, right? They, uh, Bob Sutton was fired. Steve Spagnuolo brought in. They, they bid farewell to, to players like Justin Houston and Eric Berry and Alan Bailey. And, you know, I, I think there were six or D Ford was part of that six or seven mm-hmm. defensive starters um, were uh, they, they didn't, re- they didn't bring back. And so the, the, they addressed that. And so what was the result? A pretty good 2019 season that ended with a Super Bowl championship. And uh, the Chiefs liked what they had there. So they, as you said, Joe, they ran it back. They didn't make many changes. They, they found a way to, you know, not only give Patrick Mahomes the, the half billion dollar contract, but to leave some money on the table for Chris Jones. And, you know, they it looked like pretty much, the, you know, the, the gang was back. Um, I think we're going to see something similar this time to the 2018 uh, offseason. That is, I think we'll see more changes, especially on the offensive side, this time for the Chiefs than, uh, uh, than, than on the defensive side. So uh, I think that you know, the Super Bowl loss left such a bad taste in their mouths, and nobody expected 
nobody expected the type of loss that they suffered in that game. So I, I think that I think we'll see some cha- a lot of changes on the Chiefs' offense. Do you, do you think those big changes, Blair? Uh, you know, obviously the the story, of the game that Joe and I have talked about a lot was the offensive line. Is is that where kind of you think those big changes are are going to be, or other places? Yeah, well, think think about what what the Chiefs are facing on the offensive line. They they started the season, or let's say they came out of the Super Bowl with with Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz at tackle, with Laurent Duvernay Tardif at, at at one guard. You know, Stefan Wisniewski started the other guard, and then Austin Ryder was the center. And you know, they they don't have LTD because of the opt out. They lose Mitchell Schwartz after I think in week six because of the back. And, and then, of course, uh, Eric Fisher gets, you know, get, get tear, tears his Achilles in, in, the, um, in the AFC title game. So the, the Chiefs have to patchwork the offensive line for the Super Bowl, thinking that they've made patchwork offensive lines work before, but Tampa Bay just brought the heat so often and I think provided something of a blueprint to attack this Chiefs team and disrupt the, you know, the, the great offensive uh, production of, of the Chiefs, so I, I do think that the offensive line is 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 kind of problem one, issue one for the Chiefs as they approach the uh, the off season. Who's going to be back? I, I'm I'm not 100 percent sure, but um, you know, Joe, you can speak to this as well as anybody. I mean, a back injury for an offensive lineman, that's yeah. I mean, that's uh, you just never know with that, right? Yeah, Especially yeah, coming that age. Yeah, I watched John Alt suffer with it. I mean, John was my roommate for a couple years on the road, and he used to have to sleep on his back with his leg folded like he was reading the newspaper. Like, that's how yeah. John had to sleep. I was like, I used to think he was awake reading the paper, and he was asleep. I was like, John, you know, what are you doing? You're, what are you doing up? And he's like, I'm, I'm sleeping, you know. And uh, no, so not to make fun light of it, but the back is, is brutal. Um, the Achilles, you know, oh, God. I mean, for Eric, I mean, everything you do as a lineman, right? You do with your, your, your feet and your back, right? Yeah, and you've got to yeah. be able to plant and you have to be able to fend off the bull rush and you got to be able to drive block. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that all positions don't rely on your Achilles, but specifically to the O-line and D-line, right? Because it's such a push position. You're like sumo wrestlers, right? It's really what you are. Um, yeah, it just, it's, 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 to me, it, it is, Blair. I, I think it's the biggest question mark and not because of the the, the level of the players that they have had there, it's this now, this un, this question of durability, which we didn't really think about, right? I think, you know, LDT will be back and he'll be healthy and he'll be fine, you know, but like between Eric Mitchell, Assembly, like, I don't know, is he, is, is he really at the end? You know, I mean, Jeff and I were so excited when we had him, he was playing at such a high level and then the injury. Yeah. It's just, oh, it's just like, what do you do, right? Because if all of them came back healthy, I think they have one of the best, deepest O-lines, you know, with Remmers and Wisniewski as backups and with some of the, you know, with the, their other opt-out with the draft pick. I mean, they have one of the they, – they might actually have to cut some of these really great people if, if they all came back healthy. And but a lot that's of one-year one year yeah. – not only is the health a question, yeah. a lot of one-year deals with these guys too, yeah. including – Remmers, you mentioned Osemele, who I fear just having both legs and being a, a little bit uh, of an older guy might might be finished. Yeah, how about that? Both knees on the same play um, oh. against the Raiders, and I I cursed that. Uh, that was the 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 opening play of that game was the long touchdown pass from Mahomes to Tyreek Hill that gets called back, 
because of the uh, holding penalty, and it's on the next play that Osemele blows out his wow. knees. And I'm thinking if they don't hold, if they don't get a penalty on the opening play, who knows what happens to Osemele? Maybe he doesn't get hurt at all. But and then the Eric Fisher injury. You're right, Joe, about the the, the Achilles. You remember in 2014 when Derek Johnson and Mike DeVito ruptured their mm. their Achilles in the opening game. And we didn't see them again until the opening game of the following season. So yeah. that's how long it takes to, you know, to, to heal an Achilles injury. So I'm not sure when we're going to see Eric Fisher again. And did the, and did the Chiefs consider a, an injury settlement with him? I, I, I don't know. But all of a sudden, you have all these questions now on the offensive line. And uh, that's why I think that has to be a, a priority for the, for the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. Well, the football season might be over. But NBA, college basketball – and the NHL are in full swing. And the only place you should be betting on these sports is betonline.ag. For college basketball and the upcoming NCAA tournament, we're going to ask Blair Kirkhoff, who used to cover those sports, for some picks there. <laughs> Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Bet Online has hundreds of props with real-time odds on almost anything you can imagine. And, of course, the 24-hour online casino. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Uh, we're here with Blair Kirkhoff of the Kansas City Star and also their podcast, Sports Beat uh, KC. Blair, uh, you, you were at the Super Bowl um, for this one and also the, the last year. I'm curious just from your perspective, just with with COVID and everything, describe the difference in, in not only the coverage, but also just the atmosphere of that, that game. It must have been just totally, totally different. It was, it was night and day from the, the previous Super Bowl where the press, press box was crowded, and I think the star had seven or eight people in the press box for the, the 49ers game on um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, besides myself, uh, Vahe Gregorian and Sam Mellinger were, were there. We had two writers, the beat writers, Herbie Teope and, and Sam McDowell, who covered the team on a on a you know day to day basis, uh, did not go. They just covered it from television, as we all did for for most of the year. There couldn't have been more than I don't know seventy five people in the in a press box that holds three four hundred at in Tampa Bay. It was surreal, actually. And then to look in the stands and see forty thousand cardboard cutouts in seats <laughs> where where the fans would have been. Um, you know, going in, we all thought, look, what, what a great advantage it is for Tampa Bay to be to be the first team to play a Super Bowl in their home stadium. Um, and look, they won the game in their home stadium, but I didn't see where was any great advantage to, to be playing at home that year. And, and I thought the Chiefs had, you know, with their COVID plans to, to fly in, uh, to Tampa Bay the, the day before the game, I thought that was going to work out for the Chiefs. Here's a team that played so well on the road this year. <clears throat> You're treating it like a road game. And um, uh, but as it turns out, um, it didn't, didn't mm-hmm. seem, didn't seem to matter. Um, and, uh, I, I did think it worked against the chiefs and in big favor of Tampa Bay that the bucks lost the regular season game to the chiefs and felt kind of embarrassed by that loss, the way mm-hmm. Tyree killed, just killed them. And I think the bucks were able to, to make the adjustments and the chiefs, I don't know how, how urgent they felt the need to make adjustments to the bucks. Yeah, I've been reading a lot about that. I mean, you know, that's something that's come up a lot, Blair, is this this lack of of adjustments. And and Jeff and I have talked about it all season for the last two seasons, how good the Chiefs were at making adjustments. And and that's why their offense was so powerful, because 
you know, they tended to defer, right, if they won the toss, which, which always gives them that halftime to really figure things out. Um, they were always a little bit slow in the first quarter because it was Andy and Eric Bieniemy's chance to kind of see what the defense was giving and then make those adjustments and figure out whether they're going to beat that team by pulling linebackers up into the run game or whether it's going to be stretching horizontally or vertically. Like, they just seem to be so creative on, like, not just game day, but during the game. And, and, and that took me as a real surprise during the Super Bowl when they didn't, you know, start to really light it up in the second quarter and, and then in the early third quarter, which is what they – if you look – even just looking at the box scores, you don't even have to watch the Chiefs a lot. You don't even have to know them. If you just went back and looked at the box scores, you'd see the sweet part of that bell curve of their scoring was always in the second and third quarter. And I, you bring up that word adjustment, Blair, and it kind of just like, oh, it just gives me a little punch in the gut thinking about the fact that they didn't seem to do that. No, they didn't. And the fact that they had to settle for field goals instead of touchdowns, um, I thought they were in tr- a couple of places in the Super Bowl. I thought they were in trouble. One, the the decision late in the second quarter to not allow the Bucks to run out the clock and take a fourteen to six lead into halftime. I think Bruce Arians would have been satisfied with that. But Andy started calling timeouts, and yeah. uh, and and so the Chiefs ended up on the wrong end of a couple of pass interference penalties, bad calls, I thought. But you still. Um, you know, it, yeah. it, it, it happens, right? Those things happen in games. So it's 21 to six at halftime instead of 14 to six with the Chiefs getting the ball to open the second half. And then for them not to get a touchdown on their first possession of the second half, to have to settle for a field goal there. That's when I just thought, Ugh, yeah. you know, this is, um, this may not be the Chiefs night. We may not see the comeback. Yeah, I think what what also got me too, and, and now that I'm like, I'm talking myself into this whole adjustments thing, was the fact that maybe the Chiefs didn't have a whole lot of adjustments because the Bucks just sat with seven in coverage and they, they were very effective rushing for, again, circling back full circle to the O-line problems. You know, Jeff and I talked a lot about that early on too and told fans to beware this game is going to be one up front. And, and when the Bucks were effectively rushing four and you can drop seven, I mean, you could have Patrick Mahomes, John Elway, Dan Marino, Joe Montana, and Terry Bradshaw back there with all of their great receivers they've had over time, and you're still going to have a hard time throwing the ball into seven-man coverage. And 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 and, and the Bucks have good, decent coverage. So that I think was really, if I had to put one thing on why maybe they couldn't make the adjustments, it maybe it was that. And you know, obviously, you saw it closer. You had a chance to hear some of the press conferences and things does that am I what I'm saying does that make sense that maybe there wasn't any adjustments for the Chiefs to make just based on what they couldn't do well you're absolutely right I mean that uh, you know dropping seven allowed the Bucks to double up Tyree Kill to to really hamstring Ty, uh, Travis Kelsey now it didn't help Kelsey that he dropped the pass mm-hmm. um, you know the yeah. ball that was right in his hands and uh, but but you know Teams had tried that against the Chiefs before. The Buffalo Bills in the regular season did something similar, and the Chiefs ended up rushing for 240 yards on that uh, right. on that night. And they just they just chose not to do it on uh, against uh, against the Bucks. So, uh, look, I, I think if the, it all it does all go back to the offensive line. Patrick Mahomes was pressured a Super Bowl record 29 times on his dropbacks in that game. No, no quarterback had ever been pressured in a Super Bowl the way Mahomes was. 
His, his outlets beyond Kelsey and Hill, I didn't think had a great game. Sammy Watkins, McCole Hardman, uh, Demarcus Robinson. I, I, I don't, I, I just don't think they, they came with their A games that, that, that night. And um, it just added up to um, a loss that nobody saw coming. Yeah. I, before the game, I had, you know, the four outcome scenarios, right? Bucks win big, Bucks win small, Chiefs win big, Chiefs win small. The one that I eliminated was the Bucks winning big. Yeah. There's no way that's going to happen. That one's not going to happen. That's exactly what happened. Yeah, I'll throw another crazy stat in there that Jeff and I talked about, Blair. I didn't realize that next-gen stats kept this stat. But Patrick Mahomes, and I'm, I'm doing the air quotes again, ran for 497 yards, um, <laughs> which was they – I guess they next-gen stats called it like the pre-pass – you know, scramble yards or whatever they, I forget the actual term they called it, but it's like, could you imagine if a player ran for 497 yards actually going in the right direction? Yeah, like yeah. you'd beat somebody, <laughs> you'd beat somebody 70 to nothing. Um, I just found that to be a crazy stat. And if it's even half true, it's that's that's a lot of running around that Patrick had to do, which caused a whole domino effect. Well, and, and the ball that he threw when he was parallel to the ground, the one in the fourth quarter, you know, he must have run 100 yards before he let the ball loose on that. The one that Daryl Williams yeah. couldn't catch would have been one of the greatest plays we'd ever seen if Daryl Williams hadn't, uh, you know, yeah. hadn't it, dropped it. It, it was still listed in ESPN's number – I think it was the number 100th play of the season in, in – and, and it wasn't even a reception. <laughs> it made the top plays for ESPN and it wasn't even a reception. So that's crazy. Blair, do you see this as – you know, a, a lot of people – uh, before this game, uh, they kind of thought the Chiefs were the next dynasty. Uh, do you see this game as kind of just a blip, uh, just a lot of kind of unforeseen circumstances that work together? Or do you think the Chiefs have uh, more work to do? Do you think they still are a team that have multiple Super Bowls, multiple Super Bowl championships on the horizon? How do you kind of you know, predict, predict, project the future for this franchise? Well, I think that's a good question because I think a lot of people have, have had to adjust their expectations uh, because of what happened in the Super Bowl. And, and, and so I think the, the big fear is a, an immediate future for Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs that's similar to Russell Wilson and the Seahawks, right? He, he wins his first Super Bowl, loses in the second one, and he hasn't been back since. Um, and I, I like to think that the Chiefs have – not only the best quarterback in the NFL, they have the best tight end, one of the best wide receivers in, in Tyron Matthew and Chris Jones. They have two premier defensive players. I think they've got enough to build around. Um, and look, they went with, with what they had this year, including an offensive line that was always a work in progress, they went 14 and two and, and beat Buffalo impressively in the AFC championship game. So I think that the, to me, the, 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 question, the question for the Chiefs is, do you, do you make the moves in the offseason based on the Super Bowl result? Or did enough good happen, you know, until the Super Bowl that you think you can, you know, you, you can pretty much roll with what you have? And that's why I go, I go back to saying that I think this Chiefs team, this front office, this coaching staff, um, not satisfied with what uh, with, with the way this obviously the way the season ended, but it almost makes fourteen and two and AFC Championship like oh okay I mean it was nice it was great that we we got that but didn't meet our ultimate goal I think the hunger will remain with the Chiefs and I I have trust in Brett Beach and that uh, front office to 
to pull the strings and make the moves to uh, to, to get the. I, I think they've done a pretty good job so far in in putting together uh, you know a championship level team. I think we'll. I think it'll stay that we need to see a playoff team fielded by the Chiefs. Hell, as long as Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback, and as long as you're in the playoffs, you know you've got a chance to, to to win a Super Bowl. But they absolutely have some some spots they uh, that that need to be fixed and and, and addressed. And, and I, I I trust Brett Beach and that that front office to do just that. Blair, can I ask you a question? And and again, if this is too sensitive or something, please you know just uh, you know we can pass on this, but. Having, you know, lived in Philadelphia and watched Andy, you know, do his thing here in Philly and having to deal with some of the family issues that he had to deal with, um, you know, you were there, you know, and I know there's a lot of things that, you know, when you speak of when anybody's in legal issues, it, there's always a lot of things, you, you know, you have to use the word alleged and all of these different things to make sure you're protecting people. What, what, what are your thoughts on the whole you know, the, the, the family issues that he had to deal with, you know, pre-Super Bowl. I mean, and, and, and you can keep it really light and it doesn't, you don't have to get deep, but you were there. Uh, you know, I, I didn't see the same, even visually, like I didn't see the same pep in Andy whenever they were on him. Like I, you know, I, I've, I watched him develop as a coach here in Philadelphia, his whole career here in Philly, you know, got to know him and, and, and seen what he's done in Kansas City. And, and I know that had to be, weighing on the team it had it had to be right I mean yeah look I, I don't Andy was asked about it after the after the game it was part of the post-game press conference because yeah. it was the first opportunity you know because of the timing of of the issue right uh, Britt Reed uh, got the accident on Thursday and it wasn't known until Friday and by then the media opportunities for the Super Bowl had ended for the week and the next time we were going to talk to Andy or any of the chiefs was after the Super Bowl. So he was asked about that. And look, he, he said that it did not have an impact on the team. I don't know how it could not have had an impact right. on the team. This is, this is a, an assistant coach who is part of the family, right? He is part of the team and something terrible has happened that, uh, that uh, affects, you know, him, it affects the head coach. It affects everybody throughout the, you know, throughout the organization, and um, and the fact that the Chiefs were, were you know, were, spent the week in Kansas City and not in Tampa at the Super Bowl site, meant they had to get on a plane on Saturday and um, and, and and fly to Tampa, knowing that they were going to be first of all be without a coach because uh, that that was immediate, right? For, that Britt Reed was in the right. hospital and would not be able to coach the team, but just you know, I, I think one of the things that became apparent as the game was unfolding is with drop passes and missed blocking assignments was the concentration level at a hundred percent. And can we, I guess we'll never know. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's safe to say that we'll never, never know, but I can't remember another team that had to deal with quite something like this. You know, there have been occasions. I thought of a couple of occasions where a coach or a player before a major event, a championship or a major event was either injured or involved in something that was going to prevent that, you know, that the coach or athlete from playing in the game. But this one was a little bit different just because of the nature of the issue and, you know, the way yeah. people felt about it. Yeah. Um, I just, I, 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 can, I think of like, you know, the Raiders having Barrett Robbins 
and uh, you know there's the Eugene Robinson thing and the Stanley Wilson. But you're right, Blair. Those are those are different. Those were directly affecting a player. It, it's really a unique deal when it's a coach and it's it's his son and then that family. Yeah, yeah it's like a whole community thing. Yeah. And and right. and you know, look, these are these are human beings, right? I mean, I don't care what anybody says. I remember growing up as a kid. You know, I remember watching an episode of the Jetsons, right? There's probably some of our listeners who've never even seen an episode of the Jetsons if they're under a certain age. But like, I remember, I remember, uh, you know, Mr. Spacely and George Jetson going to a, a football game and it was, was, they were all robots, right? They were all these robots with wheels playing football. And uh, it's, this isn't, this, this isn't Madden EA Sports on the uh, PlayStation. Like th- these are human beings that have to go out and perform with emotions and dragging baggage and all these things that come with, you know, trying to be emotionally ready for a game. We've all been there, right? We've all tried to perform at our own jobs, our own work. When you know you have something hanging over you, it's really hard to compartmentalize, you know? And and I just, look, I I never want to focus on the negative part, but I think it is worth talking about that, man, the timing of that, you know, had to have some effect, whether it was small, big, little, none, just wanted to get it out there and, and see what your thoughts were. So thank you for answering that. So honestly, and, and with a lot of thoughtfulness, but you know, and, and like we're, you know, Jeff and I've been talking about just our thoughts are, are with everybody involved in our prayers and, and thinking about all those people that are involved in, in that situation. And, you know, it's just unfortunate that, you know, because then all of a sudden the game itself pales in comparison, right. To right. what some family is dealing with at that point. So you know, it's uh, it keeps everything in perspective. But thank you for for answering that. Sure, and it was great news that we learned this week that the the, the five year old girl regained consciousness and she's she's smiling. So uh, that was that was great yeah. news actually to hear that yeah. this week. That's great. Great news indeed. Well, we want to give a brief moment to talk about our newest sponsor, eBay. Whether rare dead stock or the latest release, find the exact shoe you're looking for. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop the pair you've been eyeing. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. A team of experienced sneaker authenticators verify the box, logo, stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity and also protects sellers with a verified return process. And for sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers $100 or more, making it free to sell or flip your collection. So go to ebay.com sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. We're here with uh, Blair Kirkhoff of the Kansas City Star and also the Sports Beat KC podcast. Uh, Blair, I also want to talk about uh, someone who started the KC Star, uh, Therese Paler. Uh, I knew him a little bit, kind of Blair, like uh, our interactions that, you know, I'd see him at games or practices and and just cordial small talk and hello, but he seemed like a very nice guy and an and excellent writer. And that, that, you know, when I was on the Super Bowl press conferences, he was there too. So I was really taken back and shocked, obviously, by his his passing at, at, at the age of 37. Uh, uh, your thoughts, Blair? Yeah, look, I, I think he was on the post-game Super Bowl Zoom call with Andy yeah. Reid and, and the Chiefs players. That's how quickly it happened. I mean, the game is on Sunday, and we learned about, I guess, Monday is when is when Therese passed away at, at age 37. How how unfair is that? And um, it's it's been almost two weeks, and 
and I'm still a bit numb by the whole thing. What, one thing that has been revelatory, though, is the amount of outpouring mm-hmm. uh, that I have seen, not just within the Kansas City community, where Therese worked since, I think, I think 06 or 07 was his first year with the Star, but just from, from the NFL and the sports writing world and all the people that a, um, that a person who's 37 years old uh, that he touched, you know, as just because of who he was and his, his, his professional work ethic. He was, um, when I joined the Chiefs beat in 2015, and it was Therese and I on the beat for three years until he got a job at Yahoo Sports. And I've got to say, those were the, as, as, as fun of three years that I've ever had covering sports, just being with Therese all the time on the road at Chiefs practices. And, you know, he, and, and this, is, this is unique for a newspaper or anybody in the, anybody in the media he earned a level of respect in the Chiefs locker room and with the Chiefs front office that I just don't see anywhere else. He was the only guy that, um, that was allowed to basically, uh, with, with a microphone, pull a player aside. Uh, this was after practice while they were doing their uh, interview, group interviews with the media. But Therese was allowed to take a player. It could have been Jeremy Macklin or Charkandrick West or – anybody and and do a one-on-one for 10 minutes with a, with a camera rolling that's how much the chiefs respected Therese and the, the players respected him as well and look I, I know that dealing with the media is just one of those uh, those chores that that athletes have to coaches have to do and we we understand that but with Therese there just seemed to be a a, a different sort of connection that he had with 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 the players and coaches they they didn't kind of look to go someplace else when they saw Therese coming. Mm. Yeah, that's, it was so sad. I mean, you know, and, you know, look, as a player, I, we got close to the guys, you know, I mean, you know, that Blair, I mean, I'm, I'm going to speak as a player in the people that I, you know, had a chance to, 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 to be around day after day. And like you said, traveling and, time at the practice facility in the locker room, you know, guys like Kent Pulliam and Randy Kovitz and Adam Teicher and, you know, just guys that we, you know, we got to really know and about their families and their, what goes on in their lives. It's, 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 I think it's a different relationship than maybe the, 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 I don't want to call the average, I don't want to use the word average fan, but like the typical fan might not know exists it's like, you know, it's, it's how much time you spend with, it's a different relationship. And I, I want our listeners and, and fans to know that, you know, you, you build a bond and, and sometimes they write things, you know, that, that Pat Sanginimo, that it might not be the best thing about you, but you know, as a player, you got to realize that they're doing their job and you, you start to build this mutual respect. And, and then as a player, I, I can't imagine, I didn't know Therese, so I can't, I can't speak personally. I do know his writing was fantastic and all of that stuff that everybody's been saying, I would com- completely confirm. But I will say that for the players that probably, you know, got to know Therese, it, it, it's, it's, it's as devastating as, as losing somebody that they've been on the battlefield with, you know, actually playing. Because you feel like you're, you're doing that with your, your, your uh, you know, your friends in the media. So I think that's a good point that you make, Joe, about uh, the, the traveling beat writer, the, 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 the person that goes to every game, goes to every practice, that was at St. Joe every day. Um, you know, for, for training camp, and you just see them all the time, that there is a familiarity. And, um, and look, and I think if, I just think if there's a, if there, there can be a mutual respect there. If you don't, if you don't take shots or, you mm-hmm. know, you're not, uh, and, and Therese was never that kind of, he was never that kind of writer. He just, 
the, one of the great things about him and something I learned here, I am 25 years older than Therese. And what I learned was his, he always wanted to learn. He always, mm-hmm. he was always, he was always talking to offensive linemen about their technique and their skills. <laughs> and it was, he, he spent more time on that corner of the chief's locker room than any place else. Cause he just, he, he soaked up the information, not to always use in a story. It just sure. made him a more knowledgeable writer. And I always respected that about him. That's cool. That's great. That's that's. He knew where to go, right, Blair? We yeah, can say I, that. I was waiting for that. He knew, <laughs> he knew where to go. He knew the, the the guys that know what the deal is. You know, it's smart. It's smart. Smart. Right. Oh, we're speaking about the media here, especially some former uh, Kansas City star writers. Uh, you know, uh, Joe, I I grew up reading uh, Blair, and that that was when he was really all over the college. College beat, particularly college basketball. Uh, before we wrap up here, Blair, so just give us, you know, we have a lot of, we have Bet Online as a sponsor and a lot of people interested in uh, college basketball too and who to put money on. Give us maybe like a your very early final four. Well, anybody who, who uh, sides against Gonzaga and Baylor, I would question their wisdom. Uh, <laughs> and I, I think there's a, there could be a great opportunity to see two undefeated teams play for the national championship. And I don't believe that has ever happened. So, that would be amazing. And I, I, I have, I've seen both of them several times on television. They are definitely a cut above everybody else. But Ohio State and Michigan playing very, very well uh, right now. Um, I've, I've been impressed with, uh, with both of those programs. Um, I tell you what, in the Big 12, after Baylor, it's, it's, it's tough to figure it out among mm-hmm. Texas, Texas Tech, West Virginia, Kansas, Oklahoma State with Kay Cunningham. Um, it, it, it's a great top-heavy conference, but Baylor is even – above everybody in the top heavy conference. And, and then Alabama, interesting school in the program in the SEC this year. That's a team that I would, uh, I, w- I would say is, might be a little bit of a sleeper in the NCAA tournament. Uh, keep an eye on the Crimson Tide. Such, such a topsy-turvy uh, year in college basketball this year, obviously. I didn't, I didn't, hear, I didn't, hear, a, I didn't hear a pen and a Villanova in there, though. Yeah. Right. Hey, Nova. Well, the Ivy League, the Ivy League's not even playing, right? Well, that's right. And Nova lost to Creighton the other night, I think. Up, I up saw that Omaha. was a tough loss, yeah. Uh, up in Omaha, but Nova's got it uh, going on this year as well. I, yeah. I think I, I tell you what, I think Villanova's the preeminent program in the country year in year out. What Jay Wright does with the Wildcats is fantastic. Oh, that's, that's good. That's good to say. I'm working on my MBA there, Blair. So my, oh, and my wife and my wife's a Villanova grad. So so we we we're 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 all wildcat all the time when it comes to hoop season. So, but, it's, it's, so it's the it's the model. It's the model program in college basketball yeah. right now. That's cool. It's cool. Cool of you to say. Great points, Blair. And thank you for uh, joining our show. Well, if you enjoyed this show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're available on your favorite directories: iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.